everyone and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers, welcome to another saunter in the book of Genesis and we're in chapter 4 today which is another massive development in the saga. So what we're going to do is pray, ask the Lord to help us, and then off we go. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and help us, speak to us, breathe into our hearts, living word of God in Jesus' name today. Let this make sense, let it be relevant, let it inspire us, and propel us forward in our walk with you in Jesus name. Amen. Good morning Kathy and Fran and Ruth, Tracy Ann. Great to see you and Chris. Lovely to see you yesterday. Um, we're in Genesis chapter 4 today. Good morning Tracy Ann. And uh, this is uh, this story it breaks your heart. The more you read it, the more your heart gets broken and you kind of feel something of the heartbreak of God in the whole thing don't you good morning Fliss but also I don't know maybe I should just get started but I kind of feel sometimes when I read the book of Genesis that there's like so much missing and it's such a kind of distilled little kind of condensed story even of just the these human beings who are walking the earth, even the story just seems to have massive gaps. And I want to just say, yeah, but, yeah, but, and yeah, but uh, all the time I'm kind of, I have these questions and, and yet the story holds together and it's kind of powerful and instructive and helpful. Good morning, Sarah. So here we go then. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now he knew her because he'd met her before, you know, and so on. But this is a biblical, very polite way of saying that they made love. They had sex. So Adam and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man. You can tell this is an American translation. I have gotten a man. <laughs> Even got, we don't use the word got, do we much in English? Not correct, proper English. But... She says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do, do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That's so interesting, isn't it? We just had that kind of um, thing about the woman's desire being for her husband. And now we've got sin's desire being for Cain. And you kind of think, what is what does this language mean? What is it trying to say to us? <clears throat> Excuse me. But we have this powerful story and this sense that God is watching closely over the people that he's made. Now, it would be a mistake to think that God is not equally interested in you and I as he was in Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve. <clears throat> this is the God of covenant. This is the God of relationship, the God of families, Yahweh. And he's watching over this whole thing that he's made. And so Eve gives birth to a son and she says, I've gotten a son. She says, I've begat, I've begat gotten a son by the with the help of God and maybe she was thinking of that promise that God had just made to her in the previous page good morning Sarah nice to see you maybe she's thinking about that promise and she's thinking wow is this the one that's going to bruise the head of the serpent have is this it now we've kind of done with this horrible tyranny of sin and sweat of our brows and everything else and the curse on the land and everything being hard work maybe we're done with that now maybe Cain is the one who's going to kind of crush this serpent's head and get on with it and quite the reverse happens in fact and it's really sad but they have this Thing where they're bringing an offering to God and so Cain is a gardener and he grows corn and vegetables and all this kind of stuff and he offers that to God. Hi Sarah. Um, and uh, Abel is a shepherd which would suggest that they were no longer vegetarians because he, why would you keep sheep if you weren't going to eat them unless you just had a particular thing about caring for fluffy lambs. I think history suggests that we would rather eat them than care for them just as an end in itself on the whole. I'm sure there are some people, sorry, we're way off track now. But anyway, so they would bring, so somewhere in their kind of understanding, they had this sense that God would like a gift or an offering. And so they would bring, so they both brought these offerings to God and presented them by fire, it would seem. And Abel, in we don't know whether God had spoken to them before explicitly saying, I would like you to bring me an offering and this is how I want it to be. And Cain had stubbornly resisted that and brought what he thought God should like. and wh Or whether this is just something that's the overflow of their hearts and a kind of instinctive response to God based on when God killed the animals to make... Um, clothing for Adam and Eve whether they understood that that was how things were from this time on or not so that's another example of a gap I'd love to have an extra chapter in there that just said and God said bring me an offering and this is what it's supposed to look like but we don't get that but we do get this sense that somehow God is pleased with Abel and his offering because he burns the fat and offers it up to God and we know from Leviticus and those kind of chapters good morning Emma that God actually did love that and somehow that meant something to God and that that we if you imagine in a in a kind of 
even in agricultural cultures around the world, in poorer countries, the fat and the is is all very nutritious. It's a very good food source. We've come to kind of despise fat in the West, which is really silly because it's actually good for you in, in, <laughs> in limited quantities. But these guys would have valued the fat and it was the luxurious cut of the meat where the, all the juices cooked. Anyway, and they would offer that to God and it was like saying, here you are, God, this is the best bit for you. Anyway, um, but then God notices that Cain is in a sulk because his offering has not been accepted. And God says, why has your face fallen? Well, we know perfectly well that God knows perfectly well why Cain's in a sulk. He's in a sulk because God has not patted him on the back, but he's patted his brother on the back. And Cain is feeling this kind of urge, this um, primeval kind of uh primal whatever it is sibling rivalry that we see you know is just so much part of our lives and we talk about it in it's just kind of part of our normal language sibling rivalry we all get it well here it is right here in the early stages of the human race and so um but God says, listen, Cain, you've got to sort this out. Do what's right. There is a way for you. you. You're not rejected. Oh, you're not permanently rejected. You've got a way. All you need to do is do what is right. But if you don't, sin is going to kind of crouch at your door like an animal and it's going to overtake you and you're going to be, um, it's going to win. So there's this sense of Cain with this beast outside the door of his heart that wants to just kind of devour him and all the rest of it, which, of course, we see it happens. So, right, verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. So instead of taking notice of God, Cain progresses his anger further. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, "'Where is Abel, your brother?' He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And this has become like such a legendary phrase, hasn't it? Am I my brother's keeper? Why would I know where my brother is? What business is it of mine? Well, God is the God of family. He's the God of relationship. He's a covenantal God. Of course you're your brother's keeper. Of course you are. Of course I am. And and so I am responsible I am responsible for my children, for my wife, for my brothers and my sisters. And sometimes that's a, you know, we kind of think, oh, this is too much effort to maintain. Ooh, you know, I'm, I'm annoyed with this person. Why would I have to go and make things better? But actually, that's precisely what we're required to do to actually heal our relationships and keep this kind of family thing going and in a good way. And so, um, where are we? So Cain is, and and he just is kind of so brazen in his response, as if he can lie to God, as if he can kind of bluff his way through it with God and say, well, I don't know where he is. But he's just literally come back from slaying him in the field. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. I think we need to understand something about how much God values human life. He says, this blood is crying out to me from the ground. There's a chap, there's a piece in the book of 
Revelation where there's the, these, the souls of the martyrs, all those whose lives have been taken because of their faith in Jesus and their devotion to him. And they're crying out and saying, oh God, how long before you avenge our blood? And there's this sense that God is the avenger of bloodshed. And we should not be surprised, I'm sorry, if we have shed innocent blood, if we don't find God coming after us and saying, where's your brother? And there is, we can't absolve ourselves of that guilt and just shrug it off and say it doesn't matter. And so as a nation, we have blood on our hands in, in so many ways, from our imperialistic past, from the abortion clinics and stuff that's going on day by day. We have blood on our hands and God will come after us and say, come on then, let's talk about this. Where's your brother? And so... Um, Abel tries to shrug it off. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground. So already there's been a curse, hasn't there, towards Adam. And it's going to be hard work for him to get his livelihood and his food from the soil. He's going to have to work hard to get it. But now God is saying there's a further curse, Cain, on you because you've slain your brother and what's interesting is there's no attempt on Cain's part. He's not, he doesn't appear to be in the least bit remorseful, does he? And he's brazen about it. And so then verse 12, it says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you to you its strength. It's not going to, it's not going to cooperate with you at all. You're going to find it's opposing you. It's not going to yield to you its strength. I love that kind of metaphor that the ground, the earth itself has got strength, that it yields to us when we cooperate with God and we cooperate with the earth, that there's this kind of lovely unity between the human being and the earth that they're, they're taking care of and the Lord himself who's created the whole thing. And I think we are reaping some bad seed aren't we back into our lives for the way we've treated each other and the way we've treated the environment somewhat uh you know this way this uh, the whole climate crisis and everything else is is all part of the same picture isn't it and so then he says you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth Cain said to the Lord my punishment is greater than I can bear so I'm really upset now, God. I can't bear this. This is really horrible. How can you do this to me? Then he says, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground or this and this some language here, which is interesting. The face of the earth in some translations and from your face, I shall be hidden. The word there is panim. We talked about it yesterday. The faces of God, the presence of God. It's the same word. It can be inter in translated both ways. Faces presence he's saying you're driving me from the face of the earth you're driving me from your face he said that like i'm I, I have hostility towards me from the ground up and literally you are closing you're turning your face away from me and yet who who did it i mean it's just like who did it who did it first cain God didn't make him kill his brother, and yet he's angry with God for driving him away from his presence. And we hear the same complaint against God in, in, in our day, in our generation. People complain about God, that there's all this suffering in the world. And you think, yeah, 
Where did it come from? Did it come from God? No, it did not come from God. You know, but actually we are, we, we so often want to blame God. It's like the child who's complaining against their parents when actually it's the child who's committed an offence that's caused the breakdown in the relationship. And so right back here with, we see the origins of all these issues right here in those early days. And so he says, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. That's another question I have. Well, who is the whoever? Where are they from? Do you know what I mean? Who are these other people? Because so far, all we've heard about are four. We've heard about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Now we're back down to three, it would seem. But there clearly are other people on the earth. So how that came about, who knows? Did God just make Adam and Eve incredibly fruitful? And they're just having children like one one a year or something? I don't know, as fast as probably you can go. (laughs) I don't know if you're even... I don't know if you can even do it that quickly, but or were there other people out there that God made simultaneously? Good question, Paul. <laughs> I don't have the answer. Good morning, Pat and Mike, and good morning, Nikki. But um, it makes you wonder sometimes. And so, right, here we go. So then he says, if anyone kills Cain, so hold on one second. He says, I shall be a wanderer and a fugitive on the face of the earth. Or on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. So God saying, listen, Cain, I'm still your God. I'm still. I'm still watching over your life. But, you know, and, and I'm going to I'm going to defend you, even though you don't deserve it, you monkey. You know, you, you and he's saying if anyone kills Cain then his vengeance will be on him sevenfold and the Lord put a mark on him on Cain lest any who found him should attack him I wonder how that I wonder do you know what I mean what did that look like is that mark on his head don't kill me God will kill you was he tattooed did he just look different I don't know but people knew not to mess with Cain because God was using him as an object lesson good morning Rosemary so uh, so then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. That is such a tragic, bleak, barren statement. He went away from the presence of the Lord. Wow. And he's, gosh, and he settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, I understood the land of Nod was where he went when he went to sleep. But Cain went there and he settled there. And verse 17 says, Cain knew his wife. So he got a wife from somewhere, whether it was his sister, as the Jewish tradition suggests, or whether God had indeed made other people. I don't know. You can text me or you can put a comment and let me know what you think. um, And we'll kind of ponder that together. (laughs) Um, But so Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. This is a different Enoch than the other one who comes up later in the the story i believe when he built a city he called the name of the city after his son enoch to enoch was born irad and irad fathered mehujael or something like that and mehujael fathered methusael and methusael fathered lamech 
and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada or Ada and the name of the other Zillah. And they both imply beauty and all the rest of it. Those names. Uh, Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. <laughs> Jabal and Jubal. And he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain, and he was the father of all instruments. Sorry, he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So here we see a kind of narrative explaining the development of technology and invention and creativity and so on on the earth. And this is clearly a different story to the one that we're told by archaeologists and that I think has foxed many people for many generations and will do, no doubt, on into the future. I think what we can say is that the um, the genealogies of the Bible are often incomplete or they're kind of constructed in such a way to make a point. And so what we're seeing here is this progression of the generations that lead up to Noah. And anyway, but here we have these guys appearing on the earth with the incredible gift of creativity. Now, if God made man in his own image, man or man and woman, the human race, if God truly did that, then we should not be surprised that they arrived on the earth with a perfectly functional brain that was creative and imaginative. And no doubt back then, genetically pure, there was no mutations of from background radiation or anything like that. They, they would have been super sharp, super clever people. We should not be surprised that they made technological advances pretty quickly and discovered a whole host of stuff that, you know, we think is more recent than, um, you know, perhaps um, fits into a different time scale. So anyway, that one, again, we haven't got time to really dig into it and go into it in a lot of detail, but it is worth thinking about and pondering and reflecting on. And there's loads of stuff written on this kind of thing if you want to look into it. So there's, so this guy, Lamech, had two wives. Well, he's going outside this given um, gift of marriage that God gave. He said, therefore, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they'll become one flesh. Well, here we have already. So we've got murder and fratricide or whatever it's called, fratricide, killing your brother. We've now got Lamech going into polygamy. So you can't be one flesh with two people, surely, because that's well, one and a half. I don't know. It just doesn't work, does it? And so he's there trying to kind of invent his own normal. He's trying to invent his own morality. And then listen to what he says. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. We don't even know this person's name. Where was he from? Was he a relative? What happened? We don't know. All we know is that Lamech is pushing the boat out into sin and he's kind of pushing the boundaries there with God. Hi, Tim. 
Good. Well, I'm going to read your comments in a minute because I know they'll be they'll be worth looking at. So, um, I have killed. So this guy now has killed a young man, and he says, verse twenty four. He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy sevenfold. That's interesting, isn't it? So he's saying, all right then, God, you're protecting Cain. Protect me. I've killed a young man. Let my let the a person who kills me be punished 77 times and, and it's just so interesting because it kind of rings a whole load of bells doesn't it good morning Clive it's that sense of Jesus says how many times when the disciples say how many times should we forgive someone who who offends us or hurts us and Jesus they say should we forgive him seven times and Jesus says no 70 times seven well Lamech is kind of flag it using that language and he's saying yeah god protect me 70 times seven or you know judgment revenge on my life 70 times seven and adam knew his wife again and she bore so just can i just say this just because it gets a mention adam knew his wife i doubt very much when he they conceived Cain whether that's the first time they'd ever made love I suspect that they were already enjoying that gift in the garden before sin came into the world I don't think it probably took them long to work out how it all works and I'm sure they were having a lovely time in the garden completely enjoying the pure gift of sex between a man and a woman as God had given it in that moment and then of course then but it is interesting to note that Cain was conceived after they were expelled from the garden. So, <clears throat> so Cain, <clears throat> excuse me, Cain was born having his parents having already um, signed up to join the sin club. They were part of the sin club already, and so Cain is initiated into that from conception. And clearly, Lamech. And the others are carrying on in that vein pretty much as well. So it says, Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Cable. So, Cable? <laughs> instead of, gosh, come on, Paul, concentrate. Instead of Abel, for Cain killed him, to Seth. Also, a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. That is a really, really interesting um, little statement there. So, so Adam and Eve have another son and they call him Seth and she's kind of happy in terms of, oh, I've got another son to replace Abel. But there's this moment there where it says in at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And you wonder what that looked like. So what does that even mean? Why is it even in there? What is it's quite an important statement. But you wonder whether there's something about corporate worship starts to happen. Maybe it was a like a revival took place in the land and people who had gone down Lamech's route of godlessness and just defying God maybe there was a move of God and people began to worship together and call on the name of the Lord together or something like that again we don't know all we can do is speculate but it is just fascinating I I, I think 
<laughs> you can't read this stuff without being completely fascinated by it. What we have to go back to is to say, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration, is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for training in righteousness and instruction and all those things. And so it's it's a there is so much in here that is instructional. We can get so complicated about the order of things and how it all fits in with archaeology and everything else. And I do believe that there is a way that it will be reconciled and it will all make sense. But the big issue is what is this in here for? If this is to teach me and train me in righteousness so that I can be thoroughly equipped, what is it teaching me? It's teaching me that I have a covenantal obligation to my brother and to my sister to love them and care for them and support them. And, and is it, this is my brother in natural terms. It's also my brother in spiritual terms. It's also my brother from a different mother in a different country who I've never met is the, the human race. I have a, I can't say, oh, this person wasn't a Christian, therefore I don't have any obligation to him. In Islam, you can lie to an infidel because it doesn't matter. In Christianity, no, you can't. You speak the truth in love to everybody and you show respect and honour to everybody. And so, do you get me? So here we go. This this chapter four is so much about our earthly human relationships and how they have a bearing on our relationship with God himself. So God bless you, lovely saunterers. Have an amazing day and do share this and like it and all the rest of it. And feel free to comment, but just be courteous to each other if you disagree. That's all I'm asking. God bless you. Have an amazing day. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Uh, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.